This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly feature from the Cap Times. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm here with Yvonne Kim, who covers higher education for the Cap Times. Hi, my name is Yvonne Kim, and like you just said, I cover higher education here at the Cap Times. You wrote about attempts by graduate student workers at UW-Madison to improve their working conditions and have greater say in the university's policies about their work. For folks who aren't familiar with graduate student work, what should we know and what's unique about their labor situation? So something that's really interesting about graduate student workers is, as you can tell from that title, they're both students and workers. So they're always balancing this fine line between being students at the university, but also being employees who need workplace protections and are compensated by the university. So that's at the crux of the story in terms of how they're trying to balance those two identities and work with the university to make sure that they have adequate policies in place to speak for that dual identity role. And these workers are both paid money and paid in not having to pay for school. Is that correct? Right. So if you think about graduate workers being compensated, part of that is tuition remission, which means that you know, in the popular sense of how you think about it, they're paid to go to school. But at the same time, a lot of their work is in terms of salary. So they do get paid hourly wages for extra work that they do as assistants or project assistants. And what kinds of changes are they calling for? Two of the biggest changes that you will see throughout the story that graduate students at UW-Madison are calling for are, one, a greater commitment to shared governance by the university which basically means that they want more seats at the table. They want more representation when universities are making policies about them and they want to have more say in the things that affect them. And secondly is they want greater protections from potential workplace abuse or overwork. And how did this issue end up on your radar? I first became really interested in this issue when I went to a rally early in December. So graduate students, I think there were over 200 of them, gathered at Engineering Mall and they were doing a big protest to honor the life of John Brady. John Brady was a seventh-year PhD student in the electrical and computer engineering department who died by suicide in 2016. And the Wisconsin State Journal, I think in October, had published this big investigation revealing a lot of the abuses of his former professor. And students were rallying to demand that he not be allowed to return to campus and also to just honor the student's life. And after speaking to graduate students there, it became clear that not not that their demands were necessarily a response to this news, but that the tragedy had really brought a lot of graduate students together to rally for bigger and better changes in ways that they hadn't been before. So their demands were getting more vocal. They were getting more concerned in terms of preventing similar tragedies and such. So that's how the issue first came onto my radar. And so many students were willing to speak with me and share their experiences with me that I thought it definitely warranted a bigger story. And can you tell me about a couple of those students who were willing to talk to you and what they were sharing about their experiences? Sure. I think one thing I really enjoyed in writing the story is that I got perspectives both from 
the TAA, which is the Teaching Assistance Association, from the more technical labor union side of things. And then I also just spoke to regular students who had everyday experiences of what it's like to work in the classroom or laboratory and be concerned about these issues. So one student I spoke to was Sarah Trangone, who is a co-president of the TAA, and she told me a lot of the background about what labor union organizing is like at UW-Madison, specific challenges that they faced, and she was really helpful in me getting the technicalities of the story. For instance, the legalities of overwork or what the goals might be in terms of trying to fight for shared governance or how many committee seats they want at the table. On the other hand, I think it was really helpful to speak with two women who worked in humanities departments at UW-Madison. One of them wanted to be anonymous, but we used the pseudonym Diane, and another one is Lauren Ayers, and both of them were PhD students in the humanities, and they were dropped from their programs by their former advisors. And they spoke to me a lot about their relationship with their professors, which I think really reflected the murkiness in the nature of RA work. It's not necessarily a case where they experienced explicit abuse or um, verbal abuse like John Brady did. They felt like they had awkward or uncomfortable relationships with their advisors, but because of a lack of policy, they never really knew how to go about enacting change. So one of the students would tell me that It felt like my professor was always requiring me to do hours and hours of work just to get something on the table, but I didn't know what I was supposed to produce. So I would go nights without sleeping, and then he would be disappointed in my work. So things like that, I felt, really spoke to the arbitrariness of RA policy and what students are going through on a day-to-day basis outside of just labor organizing. And how did the labor situation for graduate student workers change when 2011's Act 10 voided the collective bargaining rights of public employees? So 2011 now is almost a whole decade ago, and that basically means that for maybe seven or eight years, the university was operating without a legal formal contract with graduate student workers after Act 10. So before 2011, graduate student union, which is TAA, had a legal contract with the university outlining their workplace protections and workplace policy. Once Act 10 got rid of their collective bargaining rights, TAA was no longer legally recognized as a union and the university was no longer legally required to bargain with them. So thankfully, the university after Act 10 was passed did agree to informally or verbally remain committed to the terms of the contract, but there was nothing in writing. And in 2017, that's when they started to try to finally codify all of those procedures that had previously existed into a new set of written policies that exist now called the Graduate Assistantship Policies and Procedures, or GAP. And how has the university been responding to this kind of increased push by graduate students? I think back in 2017 when they first chartered GAP and wanted to make these policies is when they had the strongest commitment to communicating with graduate student workers. They made a working group that had four student representatives. They met every other week and they were constantly trying to get input and they wanted to hear more from graduate student workers about their day-to-day experiences so that they could reflect that in the workplace policies. Over time, once GAP was first released, Graduate students found themselves very disappointed when they saw that the university had made some decisions that they didn't think 
they were properly informed about. And over time, they found themselves very frustrated about where the policies were. They weren't getting significant communication about the about updates about the draft. And I would say that since 2017, the university's commitment to shared governance and communication with graduate student workers has definitely frayed. And speaking with graduate students, they definitely would characterize their relationship as becoming more and more unstable with the university. Um, of course, the university has responded to the story to say that they are committed to the well-being of graduate students and hope to maintain communication with them going forward. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So this story has a lot of moving parts, a lot of complicated processes, a lot of different people's experiences. Uh, What do you think the public most needs to understand about this situation? I think it definitely circles back to what we said at the beginning of this, where graduate student workers don't really know where they stand within the university. Are they students? Are they employees? And if they're both, how do they balance that all the time? I think the public tends to have this misconception about graduate student workers that they're really disgruntled radicals, I think, is what the co-president told me. Or they think that they're just privileged students who get paid to read or paid to learn. And I think it's important to get a deeper look into what day-to-day processes might be like, how difficult it is for them to speak out about a problem when their entire career might be on the line, or how scary it can be to grieve overwork or workplace abuse when you're an international student who's come 8,000 miles away just to study in Madison. And if you say something, you might, you know, like one of my sources, have 60 days to find a new program or leave the country entirely. So I think the broad range of experiences is really important to look into. Of course, there are students who are very stuck in the road of trying to become a professor or the standard path of entering academia. But there are so many different experiences, and I couldn't include nearly as much as I wanted to. But just getting a glimpse into the diversity of experiences, I think, was really important for me. So what's at stake here and for whom? Like, is this who should be caring about this issue? I think anyone who cares about the university or even higher education more broadly should be concerned about this issue graduate student concerns is definitely nothing new in the news. It's happening at the UC system in Santa Cruz. It's been big in the news at Harvard. And I think what's fascinating to me is that they all have very different issues and different things that they're fighting for depending on the school or depending on the state. But at the end of the day, all graduate students are really demanding is more worker representation. So that's something that I spoke with a lot of faculty and staff as well who wish that the university would do more to make sure that their students' voices are being heard. And I think that's something that affects anyone, whether you're an undergraduate or a graduate student or even, you know, a higher up university official. So what's the current status of this effort? So actually, the university released the latest version of GAP just this morning. So now it includes not only teaching assistants and project assistants, but also research assistants. And I think graduate student representatives' biggest priority when it came to research assistants was how many hours is appropriate for me to work in a week? 
And if I am working two to three times that appropriate amount, what can I do to grieve that and file a complaint with the university? Um, A lot of the mismatch that I've heard from students versus administrators is that the nature of research assistant work is so flexible and so murky that you can't really legislate that. For instance, you can think about a research assistant who works in a science lab. And let's say you do a science experiment where it just completely fails. I'm sure you have an experience with that maybe in high school or middle school. And you don't know what went wrong and you have to do it two or three more times. And you might be in the lab way more hours than you anticipated that day. So the just the nature and the unpredictability of that work makes it hard to put into writing. A graduate student worker can only work X hours a week. Um, and there's been a lot of disagreement from the university side or the graduate student side on what's appropriate to put into written policy to make sure that students aren't working 60 to 70 hours a week, which is quite common. It's only been a couple of hours, so I haven't gotten a full university or TAA response about this yet. But just from briefly looking over the changes, it looks like the graduate student workers actually have made a good amount of progress with some wins. Um, it explicitly includes a footnote that defines a full-time appointment as a 40-hour work week. And it also better defines the boundaries of what appropriate work is so that students might be better able to grieve if an advisor makes them do inappropriate work, like doing laundry or babysitting for them, something like that. Um, But I am curious to continue looking through it and see what graduate student workers still want to fight for moving forward. And what other developments will you be watching for in this story? I'm interested in whether the university is going to announce anything new regarding Professor Saeed, who was the abusive professor whose student died by suicide. He was found to actually have violated university policies and procedures and was on paid leave after that investigation. But he will be returning to campus in the spring in an administrative position, so not as a professor, but still on campus. And there's been a giant petition with, I think, over a thousand signatures demanding that he not be allowed to do that. So I'm very fascinated to see whether the university will change its stance on that. And then I'm also just curious about what graduate student workers fight for after these policies are released, because just because the next round is out doesn't mean that they're completely satisfied or that all of their demands have been met. So hoping to see how they continue to fight for their workplace protections even after GAP is continuing to come out. Excellent. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Yvonne Kim, who's always watching for the most important developments in Madison area higher education. Tune in next week for a conversation with Metro reporter Nicholas Garten. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.